Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Smith. Uh, welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Abby Duty and Curtis Wister, the Tegan Wright and Bob Marley to my Tim Sample. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> Great. How are you, Ben? Good. Good. We are episode 18. So uh, when you're 18, uh, one of the things that you're faced with is is looking at work, right? And looking at jobs. It's true. And, and when one of the things we were looking to identify in retirement and something that comes up a lot for us with our conversations with our clients is they're getting closer to retirement or they're in retirement and they go, you know what? I'm here or I'm about to be there. And what I love about my job is it gives me a sense of purpose. It gives me meaning. And now that I'm not doing it or I'm scared of the prospect of not uh, not doing it anymore, what is that going to mean for me and my life? What yeah. is that going to mean for who I am? Because my identity is kind of tied up into that. So we've had a lot of conversations with our clients, Abby and, and myself and, and our team, looking at that as a, as a very big friction moment for people. So with that, we, we said we, we want to have a topic around work. You know, in, in maybe it's even transitioning to like a second career or all of this is, is kind of figuring out kind of where do I want to go? Where do I want to be? What would I want to do that's fun? And kind of figuring that out as, as kind of a, as a problem. But, you know, that's not what we do, right? Is we do uh, financial planning in terms of the, the money path. We help with figuring that out. And we just said, look, we're trying to find this. And this is something where we've been asking around quite a bit. And we eventually got introduced to uh, Barbara Babkirk, said, you know what, you know, you're looking at HR and that wasn't the right place to go. You need someone <laughs> that's actually looking at career counseling, yeah. someone that helps uh, people kind of work through these issues and, and find that passion and find where they want to go. So Barbara has a uh, career counseling um, company called Heart at Work Associates. And so I want to welcome Barbara to the show because uh, it's been, uh, we've had a lot of good conversations leading up to it. Even just, I, I blindly approached her and says, you've never heard of this podcast, but we would love to have you because this <laughs> is a topic that's pretty rich in our clients' minds. So Barbara, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Ben, for inviting me. So one of the things we wanted to work with is just, I want to just briefly uh, give you a little bit more of an intro here about career counseling and outplacement services is really what your your firm does but what i what i like is one of the things that you say you partner with with your clients to do is identify develop and communicate their unique professional value so verbally virtually and in writing because this is a population that they, you know they've been in their career for a while or you know they they've kind of gotten to this I've done this for so long, and now if I want to go look for a new job, I have no idea where to go. That's right. I have no idea who who to talk to or or what what my skills really are. So I, I like that there, and also that you just don't work with maybe just the C suite. That oh, you you're the president of a company. Let me go help you find that president role somewhere else. 
it's all positions, all professions, all employment levels in all industries, right? Is kind of where, where yes. you've kind of focused. So that, that's what I thought was the best match for where you wanted to go with our conversation today was, was that you could speak to all those things together. And it's not just talking to maybe 1% of the population out there. Absolutely. So what, what I want to always start with with our show is we always want to get to know you a little bit in terms of your bio is hear a little bit more about where did you grow up and then your path towards becoming a, a career counselor and outplacement services and, and owning that type of company. Can you just talk about that for a little bit? Yes, thank you. So I'm a Maine gal. I, uh, I grew up in Waterville and uh, kind of surprised to find myself here back in Maine. I live in Portland. Uh, I've lived abroad and I lived in Boston, but uh, my husband and I knew we wanted to come back to Maine to raise our family. So that's been a great decision. I was in Boston when um, I discovered I, I really wanted to go back to school. I was a French major and uh, much to my parents' chagrin, I didn't really want to teach it. I just loved it. Um, so here I was, I found myself in Boston where my husband was going to graduate school. And I was actually working for the YMCA of Boston, coordinating their internship program. So I worked with hundreds of college students all over Boston, helping them find internships, mostly at the Ys. And they would come to me and they would start asking me questions about what they're going to do after graduation and how do they kind of translate their internship to marketable skills. I didn't have the answers to that. And sometimes they would bring me questions that were a lot more personal and more in-depth. I liked the questions, but I didn't like the fact that I didn't have the right answers. In my opinion, I didn't. So mm -hmm. I thought, uh, I, I need to go back to school. So I decided to uh, get a master's degree in counseling, which I did at UNH. And I was thinking that I would end up in some kind of a mental health facility in uh, a municipality. Hmm. I did practicums in that. It was not my thing. And then I was invited to do a practicum with a woman at UNH who had just gotten her doctorate in career development. And I, I didn't really know what that meant, but I was intrigued. I did the internship, the practicum, fell in love with this field and decided this is my work and um, ended up, it was a, a sad set of circumstances. This woman died while I was doing the internship. Oh, no. Very, very suddenly. And um, they did a search and they hired me. So I ended up with her position and um, really loved the job. And um, a few year, years after that, I uh, ran a small career office in southern Maine at a college. And then I went on to Bowdoin and um, was in a leadership role there. Loved it. Then I went abroad. My husband went on sabbatical. And, you know, if you change your life in a significant way, change up your routine, wow, it has an impact on what happens next. And so I returned to Bowdoin. I was on a leave and things were just not the same. Hmm. I realized that I had outgrown the position because I was really focused only on students and I really wanted to work more with alums. So I launched my practice and um, was only me for quite a while. And I, I like to write and I actually like to do marketing. And it really started to take off. And I was turning business away and thought, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> and so um, I realized, well, it, either I expand or I keep really small. And I decided I would expand, formed a corporation, moved to, to Portland and hired a team. And it's worked out really well. 
So that's how Heart at Work Associates um, came about. Can you, obviously, and we, this is a common thread we hear with a lot of Mainers, right? Is you, you, you get born here, right? You grow up here. And then it's, there's a pull to, to leave, right? Is it all, a lot of us and, and I won't, I didn't have the experience. I know Abby kind of has talked to that as an experience for her that, you know, you just go, I got to get out of this state, right? I got to, there's more economic uh, opportunity. There's probably better jobs. There's more things I can do and more excitement out of the state, but then you end up coming back. Right. And it sounds like you did that twice, right? As you, you, right. you left and then <laughs> came back to the state and then you went abroad and then came back. So there's gravity here, right? Can you talk right. about that gravity for you and, and kind of what, what's continued to pull you back here? Okay. So I'm having a flashback to one Sunday afternoon when my husband and I were in Boston and we were there for about two and a half years and we both had job offers after, but decided to come to Maine. So here's what happened. Sunday afternoon in the fall, apples, right? You think? Mm-hmm. Got to go pick some apples. And so we headed down to Concord because we heard that's where the apples are. Oh, my gosh. Bumper to bumper. I thought, what's going on? Was there an accident? No, people were just going crazy about picking apples. And there was this line that wouldn't stop. So I said to Doug, my husband, I said, let's get out of here. Let's go to Maine and pick apples. (laughs) You know, so we did an about turn and um, came to Maine and spent the weekend here and we said, what are we doing? Because the, even then, many years ago, the traffic and the congestion was getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. So we decided, okay, forget those offers. We're going to come back to Maine and see what's here for us. And um, that was a really pivotal moment. And, and then when you traveled abroad, was was the initiation of going abroad knowing that you're going to come back? Was it, hey, we're just you know sabbatical or or whatever the the reason for leaving and going international for a bit? Was there no? We knew that this is going to be just a, a finite period of time, just to experience it more, then come back. Or was there, you know, we're maybe just testing here a little bit of where do we want to be in life and where in the world is our fit? Uh, can you talk yeah. about that? So um, my husband. Uh, was on the faculty at the University of Maine and faculty members get sabbaticals. So uh, we had been abroad and we decided we wanted to live there for a period of time. And our daughter was seven at the time. So uh, we decided that's, my husband decided that's where he would do his research. And I asked for a leave of absence from Bowdoin and they gave it to me. And as a surprise, uh, one day I was contacted by the director of admissions, who at that time was a very progressive, creative guy. And he said, hey, Barb, I I hear you're going abroad. And uh, I'd like to give you an option. And that is, uh, there are about 200 international and American schools in Europe. Would you like to travel to them and speak on behalf of Bowdoin. This was before international recruiting was a big deal. Mm. And he said, here, I don't need your answer now, but here's the map and here are the schools and we'd send this in advance, the, the materials. Think about it. Well, I came home, talked about it with my husband. And he said, okay, let's shift our focus from only being in France to being in Europe. And we did that. And it was a phenomenal experience. Nice. And um, we had intended all along to come back. That was our plan. And I thought that I would come back and stay at Bowdoin for uh, years to come. Mm. But that didn't happen. As I said, I I didn't anticipate. And I think as I remember, when I went back, there was a new dean. And I was getting all excited about midlife career change for the, the alumni population there. And he wanted the team to focus on students. 
that was a disappointment. Mm -hmm. So that's when I said, um, okay, I, I really need to make a shift here. Gotcha. And, and that, and you see that with a lot of careers. It doesn't matter kind of what age or stage you're in is sometimes you're the values and the kind of the items that drew you to that job and that position and that vocation to the organization. Sometimes it'll just shift, right? Is, and that's a, those are normal things that happen over time. And then, but kudos to you for realizing that, right? Is understanding where your priorities were and where's maybe uh, Bowden's were and then go, you know, there's a disalignment rather than both of us being satisfied with our working relationship together. Better for me to go do my own thing. Well said. You know, it's <laughs> estimated that people make five to six changes in their career during their lifetime. And I've stayed in the same sector of the marketplace. But wow, what I've done in that sector has changed dramatically. And can you, and one thing I wanted to just in terms of your background, Barbara, is to kind of hear a little bit about you know, in terms of working with any population, right, is in the state of Maine, especially, and as you said, you could have really worked with the students that were graduating and helping them find that love and that vocation. Well, those are, you know, there, there's similarities across everybody when you're looking for what is the right position for me and what's the right career for me. But there's different challenges when you've developed in your career, right, is the skills you have and the expertise and, and the love that you've maybe you've fallen in love with or fallen out of love with certain things. Can you talk a little bit about working with people over 50 as a group and helping them find work that has purpose and meaning? What do you love about that? What, what's been different about that that maybe you weren't getting from the 21, 22-year-old that uh, is going to take the world by storm and make uh, $1.4 million a year and be senior level management uh, at 23? <laughs> Two years. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> so I'm very much influenced by the work of Carl Jung. And he believed that the first half of life, and in those days, um, turn of the century, first half of life was anywhere from 1 to 35. Well, not everyone dies at 60 now, uh, or even 70. So we have this, uh, you know, they call it the 30-year longevity revolution, where we've gained 30 years. Mm. So uh, midlife, second half of life, might begin at 50 now. And so Jung believed that the first half of life was about figuring out who am I supposed to be? And that who am I supposed to be relates to what my parents think, what my school, what my neighbors, what my society, my church, those external influencers. Who am I supposed to be according to them? And we kind of go about our life trying to figure that out. And in the process, develop some interesting skills and knowledge. And then somewhere along the line of 40, we might wake up one day and think, what am I doing? I don't really like my job. And the question is different in the second half of life. The question is, who am I supposed to be? Mm -hmm. And that supposed to be is not according to external factors. It's according to internal motivators. Mm -hmm. So it might be I'm motivated by a sense of purpose. I'm motivated by um, situations where I can use my best talents. It might be that I'm motivated by the topic or the product or service that that organization is about. So people start to think about that and they realize there may be, not in all cases, but there may be a disconnect between what they're doing right. and what motivates them. And I like that question. I like helping people in that difficult place. I would say in most cases, because the question is, is quite different in the first half of life, 
The questions aren't as deep. They're not supposed to be, and they don't really need to be. Mm-hmm. But in the second half of life, they get more mm, complicated. And I like that. Yeah. And, and Barbara, I know I gave you a call, I don't know, maybe it was last month or so. And we just had a client that was stuck, right? And yeah. and it's it's one of those, and you, you hear it, and she would come back around and she was still stuck in that job. And there was just the friction in, you know, what she loved and the purpose she had and who she was helping. She'll love that. Mm-hmm. Organizational values had changed. But what was she going to do, right? That's where she knew. And so you kind of see a lot of, there's this, well, maybe, and this is the next section of our podcast we want to face with you is this renewed purpose from a new career path near in retirement. And that was kind of the the topic I want to bring to you today. So when people are racing from a job they no longer love, or they feel frustrated, or they may feel perhaps out of date, right? Is that they just don't feel they're, they're there. So they feel like retirement's the answer that, well, you know, Hey, all these frustrations, why don't I just get done? And it just feels like that's something where maybe life or their community or their network. And in, in this case, um, a daughter or a son is saying, you know, mom, just get done, right? Just, you know, you're frustrated, you're angry, just leave. But there's this population that gets purpose from their work. And so you want to, you want me to quit something that gives me purpose in my life. And what am I going to have purpose with, uh, from when I retire? You want me to, stri- you want me to just retire from my identity and who I am and what, what you know, brings me happiness. So you have this, well, they're frustrated with the situation, but this is something that gives me value and gives me happiness and gives me identity. So you feel stuck. Yes. And, oh, that, this friction that's happening, it's just, and you feel it with them. It, and you, they're, they're emotional. There's tears involved, like real hardship of, I don't know what to do. I am stuck. And that's something where, you know, for me, you know, I said, look, I can't help you with this, right? Is, you know, I can talk on the money side and help give you direction with the financial terms of what can you do and what, what would make sense. But, you know, here's one situation, but what do you see in terms of things that lead people to get stuck in their career? And are there things that they can do in their job right now that can get them unstuck? A number of factors influence people's dissatisfaction with their job at really any age, but in particular uh, in the second half of life. And one might be they're hired into this position. It's a good match. They do really well. The company is acquired. And the acquiring company wants to lay their culture on this other company. And people aren't happy with that. Some people might not be. Another might be that, oh, new manager. New manager has new ideas and changes the job. I I actually worked with someone not long ago who had the same title, the same compensation. But when we looked at the job description, it was very different from what he was hired in to do. And so... It's, it was a little bit crazy making. He says, wait a minute, what's changed? I have the same title, the same compensation. Uh, I have the same reports, but wow, it feels really different. So we had to really take a look at what was different. And I always kind of hold a question in my mind when I see someone who's not happy with their work. And that question is, is this job salvageable? So I have to really figure out, and with them, of course, what is going on? Is it an internal angst? And is that angst precipitated by something that's happening external to them? So we figure that out together. 
And in some cases, well, the manager's going nowhere because he or she just came. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, uh, and there doesn't appear to be any other place in the company that they could move to or would want to move to. So it sounds like you have to exit. So that's, you know, one way of looking at it. And you mentioned, um, this client that you had and she just wasn't happy. And, but looking at leaving the job would mean her sense of purpose might go away. So people are motivated at a later, later stage in life by purpose and a paycheck. So it's not that money isn't important. Uh, you know, even better than I, that especially as we get older, if people aren't prepared for retirement, they have to work. Yes. They have to yep. work. Mm -hmm. Yep. But they don't want to just do anything. Uh, they want something that will give them a sense of meaning. Uh, and that requires the conversation about, you know, someone, someone might come in and they'll say, mm, okay, I want to give back to the community, but I don't necessarily want to work for a nonprofit because I need to make 75 grand at least. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So what does that mean? Give back to the community. To you, it might mean X. To Abby, it might mean Y. It's, it's different. So we have to analyze their own perspective of that. And, you know, I look at it as a puzzle. Someone comes in and the puzzle's kind of scattered on the floor and together reconfigure that puzzle in a way that looks good to them. And I say, yeah, I like, I like that picture. And then we figure out the strategy of how to get there. Um, you touched on it a minute ago, Barbara, but in light of the coronavirus, right, and huge financial impacts, um, maybe more pre-retirees and maybe people even in retirement might need, be needing to go back to work. Um, yes. So what advice do you have for them? A really good point. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. So there was a study done not long ago that showed, and it really blew me away, four to five people who retire return to the workforce within 18 months. That is a phenomenal wow. number. You know, yeah. my dad, he couldn't wait to retire. And when he retired, he was not thinking about going back to work. So it's different today. Mm -hmm. And it's different not only because of economics, it's also different because people lose that sense of identity. So I think that, I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen when things, I, I wouldn't even say get back to normal. We all know there's no such thing anymore. But when things, I say, settle down. Yeah. Yes, people will need to return from retirement to the workforce. Mm -hmm. And I think the same is true for them as is true for anyone. And that is you first need to know what your priorities are and what motivates you. And then you need to know what your competencies are. And I say not only what your competencies are, but what are those skills that you have that you enjoy using? Because, you know, you might say, well, I can, you know, I can bake really well, but I'm tired of that. I've done too much of that in my life. So we want to find the match where there's interest in that competency and confidence in that competency. And then we ask the question, okay, who needs that? Where do those skills, where are they needed in the marketplace? And that's a process. You know, sometimes I, mean, I think we all hold assumptions about what certain things are like. People might say, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. I don't have the right qualifications. Well, how do you actually know that? Mm. Well, I, I, I think that's true. <laughs> so a lot of the work that I do is encouraging people to do some fact checking and reality testing. That's a little bit down the road once they figured out what their skills are. But that's a very important part. And Barbara, I'll, uh, Barbara, I'll kind of add in there too. It, it also seems like, well, there's, 
sometimes binary uh, absolutes that people have, like I can't do this or I, I can do that. And or there, you know, as you said, like it feels like I'm I'm not qualified to get that job or I, I always wanted to be, you know, uh, work with my hands. I do carpentry, maybe part time. And, uh, you know, I don't know that I really could do that because I have not really been formally trained. It, then they just completely discount or just put things aside that just, nope, I, I just, I'm not qualified. I can't do it. And it seems like, well, there, if there is another logical step there of, well, what would it take to train you to get that? Right. And if you said, if this is my dream job and if I could get a skill, if I could get some qualification that opened up a whole arena to me of things that's possible, isn't that worth investing into? How, how do you kind of face that when? Because I, I think people are coming to you sometimes and you just sometimes you make your own prison, it feels like. Yes. And what you just said, Ben, reminds me of two things. And one is what I call the drop thread. So um, I once met with a client. It might have been five years ago. And he shared with me that he always wanted to be a doctor. And I think if my memory serves me, he was in sales and it wasn't medical sales. And so we talked about what was it about being a physician that intrigued him. And he had a list of things. And long story short, what he actually ended up, so I call that a drop thread. Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the line, um, I remember his dad had died. He had to earn more money for the family. A long story pulled him into sales where he was very successful and made a lot of money, hmm. but it wasn't medicine. And so we talked about how might you pick that thread up? Now, he was about 50. He was not going back to medical school. Forget it. But what he did end up doing, he found out about, I think it's called the ship Hope, something like that. It's a ship that travels around the world doing uh, disaster relief, health um, interventions. And he found out about it and it just tugged at his heart and he ended up working for them. So he picked up that thread um, and found a way to weave it through into the second half of his life. And it was a beautiful story. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's, great. that's great. So the other part is, um, you know, what, how we talk ourselves out of things. People do that all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. And who knows what that's about? A message that someone once said, oh, Kelly, you can't, whatever. Um, but they've in, internalized that message. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I do is um, it just happened. I had a conversation with someone this morning and I asked her to write a resume. Now she is, first of all, she's not ready to leave her job. She's in a very great position. And she said, I just want to prepare. Like, I like that. Great. You're not desperate. Yeah. So I said, um, I think it was like the second time I spoke with her. I said, I'd like you to rewrite your resume and I'm going to send you a set of guidelines. And I want you to use words that are quite generic. So she's in healthcare. So please don't use terminology that only someone in healthcare would understand. And that's a tall order because mm -hmm. we're used to using the language of our field. Mm -hmm. But she did it. And I was so proud of her. I read that resume and, you know, I blocked out her headline, which in my company, we recommend that everyone do a headline, which is how you want to be seen in the marketplace. And her headline was all about healthcare uh, and leadership. So I just blocked that out and I read through it. And this person could have been in practically any sector in the marketplace hmm. uh, because she had these leadership skills and she was able to translate them. So 
when I showed her that, she realized what I was getting at when I asked her to do that exercise. Uh, and she said, you know, it's made me so much more confident. And that was music to my ears. I, I love hearing that. Now, this woman loves healthcare, so she doesn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. But it showed her that she could leave. Yeah. And that's, you know, sometimes that's all we need. Uh, we don't, no one wants to feel boxed in. Oh my gosh, this is all I can do. No one wants to feel that. So when she could see clearly, wow, I could go into any number of fields, then it made her realize I don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. I might someday want to leave my employer and go somewhere else, but I like this work. So it was great. And Barbara, what I, so what I like about your story a lot there that I'll highlight is that and you and I have talked to probably about I don't know, a couple hours at this point, just even before this show, and you, you start highlighting the the things that and what are we delivering? What's the deliverable to our clients? And you start going, all right, well, organizations, one thing is that they, they don't really put their thoughts in order. So putting that together gives them a sense of confidence is that confidence is a feeling that we're giving them, but it's this kind of, uh, with that, it's, it's confidence, but it also gives them uh, freedom is that maybe it's not just financially that they, what, what am I able to do? But if it's, Hey, freedom in terms of my employment, I don't have to, I'm down this path and I'm maybe 20 years, 30 years down this path of working in this industry doesn't mean I only have to be there. And here's how it can translate. So I, what I liked about that, and, you know, Abby led with a question about coronavirus, because there's a hundred thousand people right now. I think that was the number I heard in the news of newly unemployed uh, people in the workforce. And, you know, I think we're number one. We're going to be number one impacted by coronavirus in terms of the yeah. economic, economic recession. So here's, here's something where, you know, in terms of your role helping people, but you know, what you just can describe and I want to move you onto is applying for a job has changed dramatically from when you were 22, 30, you know, 20, 30 years ago mm. to now. So the things you're helping with is a resume and helping them realize themselves. It's maybe it's a resume for their own purposes and not necessarily even just for the, uh, for the next job. What other things are you helping people with in terms of not just the resume, but what things are, can someone do right now? that can get them more prepared as they're thinking of that next job. So you mentioned earlier on uh, that I state my company helps people verbally, virtually, and in writing. Mm -hmm. And I just explained the verbal part, talking with people, getting them to articulate what they do and what they love to do. One thing, you know, we don't know what the marketplace is going to look like even by the summer, Mm -hmm. let alone fourth quarter. But what we do know is something is not going to go away, and that is LinkedIn. So Microsoft bought LinkedIn uh, three years ago for $26 billion. So they're not going to throw that money away. They want to make LinkedIn uh, even more robust than it is now. And I teach people how to create a profile that will come up in searches. And, uh, you know, I spent two hours with a woman this morning, and she couldn't believe it how much she could find out in mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Um, she's a candidate for a position. And I said, well, you graduated from BC, Boston College. Let's find out if there are any BC grads in that company. Let's find out if there are any BC grads. She's in Maine. I work almost exclusively. I'm a Maine-centric company. Mm-hmm. So I work exclusively with people in Maine. So uh, let's find out who's doing this work in Maine. Mm-hmm. And that became a network for her to talk with people and hopefully 
someone, at least a BC grad perhaps, will put in a good word for her. Because what everyone has to do, whether they're 21 or 61, they need to find a side door when they apply for a job. So most people think, oh, I'll apply for this job. I'll go on Indeed.com. Mm-hmm. I like Indeed. Okay, it's fine. It's not the end game. Right. A person needs to then, okay, they throw their hat in the ring. By the way, 2% of people who do that uh, find that their resume actually is read by a person, 2%. So that's in part because of applicant tracking systems. Um, And most people are not aware of what they need to do in their resume in order to get through the tracking system. And so if their resume does get through, that's not enough. Can you describe real quick, Barbara, in terms of what is an applicant tracking system? Oh, thank you. Yeah, because I I, I didn't know what that was. So that's important. ATS, applicant tracking system, is a software program that usually HR, they purchase it. And they plug it into their positions and they put in certain keywords. Let's say, you know, there's a safety engineer position. Well, they'll probably put in safety engineer. They'll probably put in other terms that apply to that position and its responsibilities. And they put in the algorithm, which says the candidate needs to put in safety engineer on their cover letter and resume at least four times. Otherwise, it doesn't make it in. Hmm. Um, we don't know what that algorithm is. But we do know that there's a job description, a posting, and you darn well better have some of those terms on your resume. And you never know if the company has an applicant tracking system operating or not, but you want to operate as though it does. So that's one thing that's very, well, very new. New for people who haven't looked for a job in 25 years, for sure. Right. And so they need to be aware of that and know how to get by the applicant tracking system. And, and you mentioned a side door too, right? Is It's also, you know, as we are kind of growing in our careers, you know, there's people we've worked with, we have friends, we have connections, and it sometimes we just lose contact with them, right? And I, I think we're kind of, as we get older, we get a little more set with kind of, this is how I do things, whether it be I used to call people and maybe I've just lost contact with them. So social media to, to a lot of people is a very bad thing, right? Is, oh, you know, they're just trying to get my information. And, and so, it, you know, LinkedIn, which I, you know, I think everyone's heard a lot maybe more about Facebook, but LinkedIn, a lot of people go, well, that's not for me. So well, they do equate it to Facebook. Yeah, and it's not. Mm-hmm. You have more control over your information than you do in Facebook. And it's a professional networking site. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yep. I think that anyone who cares about their professional brand needs to be on LinkedIn. And you've kind of, and I've, I'll steal this from, from you, Barbara, is you've said 98% of people looking for talent go to LinkedIn, right? So if, if you are not on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm looking for that job and, and a particular opportunity. So one is what you just mentioned is now I get to know and I can do some intelligence on the company that I'm thinking about that matches what I want to be and who, where I want to go and Mm -hmm. figure out how, what's the best way to get an entree to that organization. Maybe not necessarily for a position that's open, maybe just an introduction anyway, but if they're looking for talent and I'm not on that platform Mm. and I have to go to indeed and 2% of, uh, of resumes are getting read and I spent all this time on a resume, I could see where people get defeated very easily that, 
geez, I, I can never find the job I want and there's nothing out there. And, and I, I, I am stuck because I'm in a prison. So they just don't know their paradigm. It feels like that's right, but they don't know what to do. And that keeps people stuck for a long time. They don't know what to do and they don't know how to find the steps necessary. I mean, a lot of people don't even know that career counselors exist. Uh, and there are career counselors that actually they wouldn't call themselves a counselor. They'd call themselves a coach. They may just coach people in how to write a resume. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, there are people out there who charge a lot of money and they write the resume for you. Okay. Well, that's not going to build your confidence because you haven't had to go down memory lane to think about what you've done. Uh, I, I don't believe in that at all. And frankly, the resumes that I've seen that are done by some of the resume writers, they're not usable and because they wouldn't get through the applicant tracking system. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so just kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, so we've been talking about people in their 50s and 60s, you know, maybe looking for a, a different type of career later in life. Do they experience age discrimination? Um, have you seen that? And do you have any examples of that? Yes and yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of the aspects of uh, my company and one of the services we provide is called outplacement. Outplacement is offered and paid for by a company when they lay someone off. It could be one person. It could be 50 people. Nowadays, it's not the 80s. The 50 people is very unusual. Mm. The biggest group we had uh, was a a paper mill, and that was kind of unusual as well because mostly blue-collar workers, and there were probably 20 people. Mm. And so an outplacement offers career counseling for X number. depends on the individual, the company, how many sessions they pay for. So 90%, and we do a lot of outplacement. So 90% of the people referred for outplacement are over 50. 90. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So anyone over 40 is protected by Amer- the ADA, American Disabilities Act. And um, what does that mean? I'm not an attorney, but I, and I won't go into much detail, but anyone over 40 is part of a protected class. And if they feel they've been discriminated against and that only people over 50 were laid off, they might want to talk to someone about that. Mm. One of the reasons why I believe 90% of the people are over 50 is that some employers make assumptions. They make assumptions that people over 50 uh, earn a lot and want to continue to earn a lot and they want to save money. So they may not know that Sally, uh, she's set financially. She's been very wise. She's met with your team and she's planned for her retirement. And she likes her work and she'd be willing to work for less. Maybe she'll change her job description, mm-hmm. but employers don't find that out. Yeah. And so they make assumptions and they lay Sally off. Mm-hmm. Or it may be that there's a new um, IT manager who comes in and that person um, is making the assumption that people over 50 don't want to learn new technology. And that's critical for this new phase of this company. And so they lay the people off for that reason without finding out if they're adept or even interested. So I think there are a lot of assumptions that go on. Mm. Another reason is they assume that, oh, people over 50, they're going to be very expensive when they get older and sicker. Yeah. Well, you know, a 20-something-year-old woman who's pregnant is going to cost a lot more money than someone who goes in for a knee replacement. Right. So, um, they, you know, it's not, I don't think it's thought out that well. And let's face it, there is age discrimination in our world, certainly in the Western world. And it's pervasive. 
And it's not all conscious. So one of the things I do say when, when I have conversations with companies about ageism is, you know, think about what you've internalized and what assumptions you've made and be courageous enough to rethink those. Mm. And, and Barbara, can I jump in there too? Because, you know, I, I think from you and your service, one of the things you're, you're kind of talking about here is, well, maybe people aren't coming to you until they've already kind of exited their job for whatever reason, or maybe they're no, I'm, I'm going to exit. It feels like there's a lot of opportunity that, as you just described, Hey, I'm feeling there's age discrimination or there's a pervasive thought that, you know, my, my generation can't do this. Or, you know, they think because I drive a Volvo that I'm all set and I don't need, uh, I don't need more pay that I'm well off. So why, why do you, get, I don't need the job? I don't need the job because you know what? Hey, um, you, you, you demonstrate maybe through clothing or maybe through a car, or maybe how you behave or maybe your husband or your, your wife, how they, they are, you know, in their positions that there's kind of a common knowledge that gets uh, assumed about you. Mm -hmm. And because of those things that they treat you differently because of that. And it's not maybe merit based or performance based. It's other things that maybe come into that too. Yes. If someone's coming to you with that, how would you, uh, how would you help them like making, maybe combating that identity that they've created and, Mm -hmm. and help maybe carve that out in their company a little bit better? Yeah. Well, the latter is, (laughs) that's a tall order. Yeah, sure. But uh, even getting back to Abby's question, what can they do? I do have plenty of people, let's say over 48 who say, Oh my gosh, I'm up against the 35 year olds. What do I do? Uh, or I have a, you know, 60 year old saying, Oh, I'm so afraid of age discrimination. What do I do? Well, my answer is really the same. And that is, let's take a look at what you can do to control the situation because we can't battle age discrimination as a whole. Right. But you can do the best that you can do verbally, virtually and in writing to present yourself in a way that first of all, Please, on LinkedIn and in your resume, do not put your year of graduation. (laughs) Yes. I don't really care because, you know, I was on a panel about ageism and there was a young attorney there and he was talking about age discrimination Mm -hmm. and how he is left out of conversations because, and he's a really bright guy, I could tell, because people assume, oh, he doesn't have the experience. What what could he offer? Mm -hmm. So I say to people, do not put your year of graduation. Oh, really? And please, if you're a 62-year-old, do not tell me that your first job out of high school, out of college, was the management training program in GE, which, you know, world-renowned. I understand that. But don't go way back. So people, you know, they count on the fingers. What are the years? This person is old. So, (laughs) you know, the unconscious bias comes out. Let's look at someone. And it might appear from the resume, especially if they worked with us, that they're not in their 60s because Mm. they don't put their whole darn work history, which is not necessary. And and it's not trying. It's not about fooling the, the the employer, right? It's it's about trying to say here's what's relevant, right? And That's here's it. what I here's what I'm trying to highlight to you, which makes me the most qualified candidate. And not saying I'm trying to hide something, and I'm I'm trying to hide my age, right? So it's it's what I what I like about what you're doing is you're highlighting proactively something versus being defensive and trying to you know, maybe shuffle something away so it doesn't get attention. And, and those are two different things. Yes. 
well said. I am absolutely in favor of truthfulness. Uh, you know, I see people who have been fired or they've mm-hmm. been laid off and because it feels like they've been fired, they tell me I've been fired. And I say, uh-huh, what was the circumstance? What egregious thing did you do? Well, nothing. Okay. They were downsizing. Okay. Then you were not fired. Mm. And so you need to shift that language. Mm. So, you know, people, they make assumptions about what's going on in their own workplace. And it's really important to tell the truth, but everyone has a big story, right? Everybody, right. we all have a big story. Yeah. Please don't tell the big story and <laughs> find the slice of that story that is truthful, number one, but also serves you. So, you know, that person who worked for GE when they first got out of college and, you know, was a feather in their cap and they want to mention GE. Well, what they learned 40 years ago, come on, how relevant, as you say, Ben, how relevant is that today? You don't need to put that in. Put what's relevant, what's going to get you the job and show people that you have those competencies. And and that might be something you bring up, right? Is, hey, you know what? I got my spark for life and I got my spark for a career, you know, and I can tell you about this, my first opportunity at GE and here's the experience and I had a great mentor. That formative who I am and that's made me and that's molded me and galvanized me to this profession, this career. That's the sort of thing to be bringing up, right? Is people want to hire energy and passion. And, you know, so if it's relevant in the terms like that, I think it's, it's, it's great. You know, there you go. Have you thought of being a career counselor? Yeah, (laughs) no, I'm going to leave that to you. (laughs) But, but that's for us. That's, that's kind of the, the fun thing to hear too, is that here's, here's kind of what makes me who I am, which is why we, we love having these conversations with folks like yourself because it's it's just it, it brings the energy back to us and it's really great to hear yeah. i i want to i want to kind of give you kind of a, a maybe a list question or kind of some hot points that maybe we could take away here so if there's a boomer and potential job seeker again as we say coronavirus and and maybe there's more unemployment that's going to come in the next maybe months to years what can someone do right now to make themselves look more compelling to that next employer I think what they can do um, is first get clear about what they most want and try to be aware of the assumptions they're making. If they say, well, I'd really like to do X, but as you pointed out earlier, they might say, I, I can't do that. I can't possibly do that. To be really careful about the assumptions that end up having them rule that out. Mm-hmm. So to think about um, what their priorities are and absolutely what their competencies are. And we love to refer people to a book called Strengths Finder 2.0. It's on Amazon, costs about $14, and it's a very useful book. You don't read the book first. You go online. There's a, an envelope in the back, gives you a code. You go online, take an assessment, and you receive a very well-written report that mm. describes your top five strengths. And those can be a, um, a launching pad for people to begin to realize what they do well. And then the second piece to that is what I suggest is, okay, take those five, start with the first one, and indicate and write out how you use that competency at work. And so they begin to ground it with some reality. And that's information that they can use when they speak to employers. So, you know, that's the verbally part. People need to be able to communicate what they do and with examples of how they've demonstrated it. Because, you know, anyone can say, hey, you know, I'm a great writer, I, you know. But to say these are the ways that I've demonstrated that Mm. writing skill is really important. So that's 
first thing. Uh, I would say second is then make sure your LinkedIn profile is really effective and dynamic. I think there is going to be a bit of waiting because we don't know what positions are going to be available because employers don't know. You know, a lot of employers, as we're aware, are furloughing people. That means they hope to bring them back. Some companies will not. That will end up being a layoff, but it's not clear today. So I think people need to buy themselves some time. And so if they have a financial advisor or they don't have one, it would be a really good idea to speak with someone to find out, okay, how can I fill this gap? Mm. How can I buy myself a bit of time until the dust settles? I would say, ideally, by fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. If they could figure out maybe... um part-time, short-term employment, that would be a good thing. Can you, um, and I want to jump in just for another point there too, Barbara, is, you know, right now, you know, a lot of us are, you know, we are right now, we're all sheltering in place and and we're, we're kind of at home, but it feels like now even more than ever, good time to maybe just do a check-in call with with people that maybe haven't heard. So if you're looking at, hey, here's an organization with my BC alum and in, in that example where it's not, I'm calling you out of the blue because I need you and I need something from you. And that maybe feels hollow. But maybe it's something where, hey, I, 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 here's something where I can just reach out, say hello. I haven't talked to you in a while. Just want to see if you're okay. And I've been doing that with my network. Would you say that's something just to lay a groundwork? So then when you do connect with them, it's maybe an easier transition in terms of that conversation. So I like that idea. I would add to that once a person has become a bit clear about the direction they might want to go in or the competencies that they have, then they would go to their alma mater on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. find out who's in the area and those people who are in positions that might use those skills or companies that might use those skills. Connect with that person. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. Then your first level, you have access to their email. You can then step out of LinkedIn, email them because not everyone uses LinkedIn like I do. Or you do. (laughs) You can't count on that. But if you're first level connected, you can email them and then you can begin a conversation. But I think people need to be um, mindful of and strategic about the people with whom they begin those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so another thing that we have heard a lot from our retiree clients is that they want to do something fun when they retire, right? So they want to work a little bit, um, maybe in something different than their full-time career. So how would somebody go about finding something fun to be a working retiree? (laughs) (laughs) Fun. Fun. I know. So sort of like um, the person who says, I want to have meaning in my work. Mm -hmm. You need to have them define that. I mean, what's fun to me might not be fun to you and vice versa. Right. Mm -hmm. So what is fun? What comes to mind? Well, I, you know, this isn't true, but (laughs) I love dogs. Not that much, but I have a grand dog and I I love her. But anyway, (laughs) I love dogs. So, okay, well, you think the Humane Society, but there are more possibilities than that. But again, have people generate a list. What's fun and then begin to filter and narrow that list to identify some places that and then you know of course the competencies come in mm-hmm. and certainly part of the beginning conversation is how much do you need to earn mm-hmm. and yeah. i have been i shouldn't be surprised anymore but i still am most people don't know that 
Right. They do right. not know what they need to earn. Mm-hmm. And so I say, please talk with your financial advisor. If you don't have one, let's talk about how you can find one. Yeah. And, and, and I'll jump in there too, Barbara, because yeah. I think that's something where, you know, we start adding in, you know, you have social security and a pension possibly yes. in yes. social security, right? There's rules, of course, how much you can earn up to your full retirement age. So that will restrict or, you know, if you start claiming and then want to go back to work, that's one thing that's, that's factoring there. But then even after that, it's, well, then what are my financial assets giving me sustainably for income over time? And then what do you need to be, uh, or what do you want to be spending? And there's your gap. So here's your formula of how to do it. And okay, but you know, by the way, uh, you know, financial markets just went down by a whole lot. Maybe your accounts lost money and that income now is projected to be a little less. Maybe now we have to earn a little bit more. And so we want to have real conversations with our clients about that as it's happening right. and not go, well, you know, we didn't really talk about that at the time. You kept spending the way you did. We, we assumed you were okay with that. We assumed we were okay with that. And then yeah. 20 years down the road is way too late mm-hmm. you know, or 10 years or five years. Yeah. And and then there's nothing you can do because the money is depleted. They thought everything was going to work out. You, you were just investing the way you thought was right. And because communication didn't happen and you didn't collaborate a whole lot on that, you end up for a disaster. So right. yeah, from, from a coaching perspective on our end, on the financial yes. side, very important because, Hey, here's what you want to do. So we're trying to marry that Venn diagram of here's what the money is requiring to what do you want to do? And in that money requirement, it might push you out of fun. Mm-hmm. It might push you into, well, it's not hundred percent fun. It's 50% fun now or something. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, it reminds me of a conversation I had with someone um, about a year ago who was laid off. I'm going to, you know, kind of change it around a little bit. Person was in IT and was earning six figures and uh, kind of got beat up in the organization a bit. A new a new uh, CEO came on and, you know, it wasn't fun anymore. Let's say that. Hmm. And so the person started looking at fun and said, you know, I have someone working on my house right now. And. I, I help him out a little bit and I like that. And he said that I could have a job with him. And I said, okay, all right. So what do you need to earn? Mm-hmm. And um, do you know that this person is probably going to pay you $18 an hour? I thought he was going to fall off the chair. And he said, really? And I said, well, you can check that out. But he said, well, I need to earn at least 70. I said, well, that is impossible to begin to join this person. Build, he's not even building houses. He's doing building closets. Mm-hmm. So, so he kind of, you know, oh, it was discouraging. I get that. I said, let's have that be your first gig into retirement, maybe. But, you know, definitely speak with your financial advisor about that. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's that reality check. Yeah. Someone wants to do something really fun. It's not feasible. Right. So they don't have to put it off forever, but they probably have to put it off in this case, at least five years. And and maybe that's the thing is, is they're trying to go from maybe they've gotten to the point they're so fatigued, they're 0% fun, right? And they're then trying yes. to go to the, hey, here's yes. the leisurely type occupation that would be really neat to do is maybe it's it's the, you know, what we've just described for, for this whole show is finding the better match mm-hmm. that does reinforce 
reignite your passion and does rekindle your skills and align it better to the organization and the job might get you there and allow you to earn more. Then you start moving out of that over time. So, you know, there, mm-hmm. there might be other opportunities there too. Well, you're speaking to a really important piece and that's burnout. Yeah. So some mm-hmm. people for all kinds of reasons, the person they work for, the company, the job, all kinds of reasons, they get worn out. They might find their way to my office like a scientist did a few years ago. And I said, you know, further down the line, do you have any ideas of what you might want to do? And he said, well, I think I want to work in a bakery. Uh huh. So I did ask, I always bring in the finances. I don't advise them, but I want to get a ballpark figure. Sure. Well, let me tell you, working in the bakery and what he needed to earn, nowhere, you know, finding the middle ground. So I realized that this guy was totally burned out. He was working his tail off. And so what I ended up suggesting to him was that he take a sabbatical. Now, it doesn't have to be a year in Europe, but mm-hmm. three months minimum to regroup. And all of a sudden, he just, and he could afford to do that. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he just had this relief that came over him. And then, you know, once a person recovers a bit from burnout, they're not really thinking bakery, which would be, I mean, you talk to a baker, they're not going to say their job is fun all the time, right? right? Mm. <laughs> so um, sometimes it is the voice of burnout that mentions, you know, mowing lawns or working in a bakery. So Barbara, one question we're hearing a lot, you know, it may be time sensitive to sort of what's going on around us right now in the world. So can you just take a minute and talk about out- outplacement packages and kind of describe them for us? Yes, surely. I'm glad you asked. So when someone is laid off, they're offered, in most cases, some kind of severance. It's not mm-hmm. the law. They, a company does not have to do that, but often they do. And that includes some kind of stipend. Sometimes it is one week's pay for one year of service. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, they may also receive something called the outplacement, which is a number of sessions with a career counselor. And the company determines how many, how much, and the bill is paid by the company. Hmm. And often the company suggests a firm that they know does good work. Now, if a person is laid off and they're offered a severance with no outplacement, they can ask for it. There's no guarantee that they will receive it, but an outplacement service is a benefit to the employer hmm. because it keeps intact a positive reputation about how they exit employees. Mm-hmm. And it also helps their reputation within the company for those who remain. Yeah. So I think it's a really good good move to offer it if the company can afford to do that. So if, you know, obviously with negotiations is that, you know, sometimes if you don't know to ask, you don't get. Mm. So, right. And, and sometimes people just don't know. So, and you said there's some employers that just will automatically offer it. But if you're not offer it, what what would somebody do in that case? So if they have not signed a separation agreement, which most companies would have an employee do, then they can go back to HR and say, for example, I'm 49 years old. I'm concerned about age discrimination and how difficult it might be for me to find new employment. And I'd like to request some outplacement services. Is that something that the company would do for me? Hmm. And you mentioned some of the reasons the employer would do that. Is there also a financial benefit to them to that in terms of like the unemployment uh, costs to having uh, laid off an employee? Okay. Is there any- so two, two different things there. Yep. One is when someone's laid off, uh, in most cases, they are eligible for unemployment. Mm-hmm. And that 
may or may not be addressed by HR. Okay. But it's important. And if they're laid off for COVID, there's an extra $600 that they receive. It's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So um, outplacement does not impact unemployment at all. Uh, it's not money in their hands. Mm-hmm. It's money in the company's hands for providing the service. Gotcha. Okay. I, I want to ask you kind of one more kind of on-topic question before we, of Curtis, do the uh, the personal <laughs> wrap up. But I want to talk about the employer side, right? Yeah. Is because from an employer side of the equation, again, Maine has the oldest population in the nation. Thirty percent of the population is boomers. Again, that fifty to seventy year old uh, age group, and then within the next twenty years, nearly half half the state's current workers will re- reach traditional retirement age. Yeah. So where we got boomers retiring from primary careers, but kind of, kind of still want to be contributing. Really, they really want to be making a contribution, be of service, but it might be under different terms, right? It might not be, again, they're, they're run ragged. They're, they're really kind of trying to go that full-time employment. So how should employers, again, the employer side of this, how should they start positioning themselves to keep their business running by utilizing this workforce, right? Because that, that's a lot of population there. It is. It is significant. I started um, becoming really interested in boomers about 10 years ago. And I am a boomer. That wasn't the only reason. And I'm tapped into national networks that focus on boomers. And I have thought for quite a while now that boomers could be Maine's answer to the gig economy. So gig economy has been alive and well on the West Coast. You know, the 20-something-year-old in their slippers in their kitchen, which could be any one of us right now, right? (laughs) Um, But people have not, meaning employers, have not really been open to looking at, really fully looking at gig as options for Maine. It's pretty traditional provincial state. I love it. And not always open to new ideas. So um, it's going to happen because the fire will be at the door and we will need to put it out. Mm-hmm. And I think the way to do that is to think much more openly. You know, boomers want flexibility. Uh, they don't want as much responsibility. Mm-hmm. They often don't need to earn as much money. And so employers, I think, need to put that together and create positions that will address that. And they won't look exactly like traditional positions do today. Hmm. So I think that really needs to happen. That's great. So Ben alluded to it a moment ago. So one thing we like to do with all of our guests on this show, obviously the Retirement Success in Maine podcast, what is your kind of vision for yourself, Barbara, as far as your personal retirement success? Sort of the the bucket list question, if you will. We'll put you on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. So... Sometimes things happen when you least expect them. So here I am working from home, and um, I've had more time to reflect. And sure enough, the whole retirement question has come into my mind. I haven't sat down and say, okay, I'm going to think about retirement today. No, in fact, I've kind of dodged it, to be honest. And so I've been aware of those things that I'm doing now that I really love to do in my work. And so I can imagine that my entry into retirement will be zeroing in on those things. And I, I, frankly, I have the luxury of being able to do that, zeroing in on those things that I really love. And if that means turning people away, I, because my associates aren't able to see them or for whatever reason, they don't fit with the company, Mm 
then I, I need to be prepared to do that, which mm-hmm. has been really hard for me because I am a helper. Yes. Um, but I think that will be one of the ways that I will ease in. I don't have a date in mind. It's not in the near future. Uh, but I can begin to see some glimpses of that transition. Okay, cool. Well, Barbara, thank you for coming on the show. It's it's just wonderful to hear uh, in terms of your your love of the state and your love of this population because it you know it, it's heartbreaking for us when we we you know we sit in that meeting and you you hearing all the things you're describing right is you're mm-hmm. hearing those situations. So we're we're just really excited that we have somebody too that we can say all right. First of all, from this resource that you helped us create, this is a good conversation to get them an entree to this. But then also another professional, we can say, you got to go talk to Barbara because she will help unlock you here. And we're confident that can happen. So from from a show perspective, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. It has been a lot of fun. Very good to meet you all, too. Okay. Have yourself a great day. Thank you. Well, really, really kind of a... Uh, interesting full conversation with Barbara Babkirk. You know, I, I, it's really just interesting here on the, the kind of the career counseling side, right? Is, mm-hmm. is the coaching and, and kind of the, the, the services that go along with that hard at work associates her, her company there. You know, I think for us, it's just more and more we're seeing our clients um, just get kind of caught up in, in those feelings that we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. So I think this is something where, you know, for for quite a long time, we'll have our clients be able to use as a resource. And yeah. and even if they don't need to talk to Barbara, that there's there's things here that they can do to to take away. I know we like to, in all of our wrap-ups, like to take some lessons to highlight to the audience. You know, Abby, do you want to start with uh, with kind of what you took away from our conversation with Barbara today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found it so interesting, her conversation around resume and writing a good resume, mm-hmm. right? So making sure that it's relevant to the job that you are seeking, not necessarily just listing every job you've ever had, um, because a lot of those may or may not pertain to what you're trying to get. And by honing in your resume, maybe can help you get picked up a little bit sooner in the application process. So I think it's something good for, for takeaways for people looking for a job. Yeah. And, and on, on top of that too, cause she gave a lot of tips around resumes and, and kind of the, especially the keyword part, right. Is, mm-hmm. is that, you know, if you just kind of list your, your role and just kind of, and don't put a lot of color around it, yeah. then a lot of these kind of those HR systems are not going to pick up those keywords. Right. And then maybe you don't get even flagged for kind of being capable or, or a candidate for a position. So mm. big kind of, I think a big point there. Yeah. Uh, Curtis, can you, uh, in terms of what did you learn from, uh, from our conversation, with Barbara? Yeah. One piece I really uh, thought was interesting was we were talking about age discrimination and I guess Barbara had sort of a, a tip for us or our listeners, not necessarily to, I guess a way they can combat it on their own. Again, it's terrible and obviously we don't condone it and nobody should condone it. But she touched on putting like your graduation year on your LinkedIn um, or years that you worked at, you know, certain jobs. And to Abby's point of, you know, if you put your full job history there with how long you were there, you know, people can add it up. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And it goes both ways, too. I know we were focusing on retirees, um, but then she happened to bring up, a, I think, a young attorney, she said, 
who faced age discrimination, you know, at the opposite end of the spectrum. And why tell people you're super young if you think it'll be used against you? So I thought that was really helpful. I think at the end of the day, right, is what we're, I think what we all hope we're measured by is capability, right? right? Is, is, can you do this job or can you not? And, and by kind of having a thinner resume, um, is that saying you're not capable or, you know, if you have too thick of a resume, then you're not capable because you're too old, Mm -hmm. right? So you have this like, well, is there like you only hire people in a certain sweet spot that you (laughs) denote as that and that's capable. Right. So yeah, I think that's something that was a pretty good takeaway. And, and again, from uh, my own, you know, geez, we're, we're in extraordinary times and not just in regards to the virus, but in terms of the recession Mm -hmm. and we're seeing a lot of people furloughed right now. And, and I think there's a wonder about when you get to the other side of this, how long is that recession going to last? And is there going to be friction that's going to change in industries that's going to lay people off and you're going to have to mobilize employees to other jobs in other areas. So I liked how she was kind of giving kind of the toolkit of, Mm. you know, looking at LinkedIn and if you're not getting, get comfortable with it right yeah. and, and go through that and get get a get your resume on there and and have it uh, attach certain keywords because if yeah. you're not on there that's where people are looking uh to really getting into this idea of kind of positioning yourself maybe with alumni um with the alumni association and making sure you're connecting and networking there so mm-hmm. when an opportunity hits you're there too so yeah. i think a lot of good things that people can do right now and and help uh, get themselves in position so they don't get so frustrated that they're frustrated and they're they're over it and burned out and and right. what she suggested burned out too so again kind of a, a interesting uh, we're talking about employment and retirement was sometimes our <laughs> infraction in people's minds but I think uh, from our episode eighteen was a was a good kind of match there yeah. so if you want more resources so free feel free to go to www.blog dot guidance point com backslash 18. 18 so go there and you can uh check out more resources we'll we'll get some of the resources from barbara there too uh if you need anything reach out to us We'd love to hear from you and until next time we'll uh, talk to you later ladies and gentlemen you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in maine podcast While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.